Kincaid and Breckenridge, News Talk 770. This is our Highlights podcast. We had some conversation today about Alberta's growing deficit. Could exceed over $10 billion for the coming year. University of Calgary economist Trevor Toome joined us. And then we had a chat with Rick Donkers from a concerned group called Ready to Engage about the city's plan to build a transit way in the southwest that would see some new bus lanes paved and some kind of uh, bigger enhanced bus stops put in there. And they got some... They got some issues with the plan. You can listen to Kincaid and Breckenridge Monday to Friday, 930 to 1230 on News Talk 770. Place for opinion and talk in Calgary. Kincaid and Breckenridge on News Talk 770. And welcome back. I'm Rob. That's Roger. Talking about the uh, Alberta budget. We'll get a new budget uh, at some point uh, in the next couple of months, but uh, already we got some idea of uh, what 2016-2017 is going to look like, specifically a deficit of about $10.5 billion. Now, the finance minister couldn't bring himself to to utter those words yesterday. It's almost like, uh, you know, you say Beetlejuice three times and <laughs> something bad happens. you got to be careful when you say $10 billion. Um, but if you say that three times, doesn't Winona Ryder get to kiss Michael Keaton? Oh, is that it? Well, there you go. So there you go. It's not so bad after all. Uh, it is what it is. So just just say it and acknowledge it. For him to allude to the previous deficit and then say, okay, people take that number and add $5 billion to it, you see what I'm getting at. <laughs> it's a hell of a lot of money. That's what I'm saying. Oh, where's the uh, politician, by the way, who's going to come out and say, thank God we're here, hey? We're the only ones who could handle this. Don't worry. We've got a plan. It's not nearly as bad as you think, but if there was anyone else in charge, boy, oh, boy, this house of cards would crumble. Rest assured, we've got this. Where's right. that politician? That's a good question. <laughs> it's going to be well into, uh, well, 2020 at least or beyond before Alberta gets back to a balanced budget situation. Who knows? We may have a new government by the year 2020, and um, certainly this is going to hurt the NDP, I think, going into the next election because they said everything would be fine by then. So things are bleak, and... Uh, are they going to get any better anytime soon? Some difficult decisions do need to be made. But joining us to put all of this in context is uh, our friend Trevor Toomey. He's Assistant Professor of Economics at the University of Calgary. Uh, Trevor, thanks for joining us. Welcome to the program. My pleasure. Great to be here. All right. Well, you, you tweeted uh, yesterday that your jaw dropped when you saw that, that $10 billion figure. Yeah, so it is, I mean, it is big. That is a big number. I mean, relative to the size of Alberta's economy, that's about three and a quarter percent uh, of our overall GDP. And that's a larger deficit relative to our economy than 90 percent of all other Canadian government budgets ever tabled since 1980. So it's a big right. number that should raise some eyebrows for sure. Okay, how bad is that number? Like, Can you give us an idea just how, how terrifying the situation is? So I wouldn't say the situation is is terrifying. You know, $10 billion, it, it, it is big, and we should be concerned that it, it isn't going to have an immediate material effect on Alberta's fiscal situation. I mean, we're in a really good spot. We still have negative net debt, unlike every other province uh, in Canada. And so we can take these kind of short-lived, big negative shocks. The real question for me is, how are we going to get out of uh, this deficit? Because unless oil prices rise, uh, this deficit is not going to go anywhere. And you cannot run large perpetual deficits indefinitely. Uh, a couple years, uh, fine. But we need a plan to get out of it. Well, and when does that plan need to need to happen? 
it needs to happen soon. I mean, we've seen the, the credit downgrades, uh, well, one credit downgrade and two warnings given to us. And, and the reason for the downgrades wasn't that Alberta's in a bad uh, fiscal situation at this moment in time. The rating agency concerns, and I think what all Albertans should be concerned about, is the expected path of future deficits. There's no clear plan to get out of it. And I think if they don't present one in the budget, then we will see further downgrades, further increases in borrowing costs, and it's just going to make it more difficult to get out of deficit in the future. What sort of levers then does the government have that they can pull on here? Not so much to stem the bleeding, but just to show that they have this plan, that that they've got actions that they can take. Yeah, so there's really only three ways to do it, or or two, or some combination of the two. You can increase revenue, decrease spending, uh, or a little bit of both. Um, and they could do that gradually through time. They don't need to have some immediate knee-jerk reaction to eliminate the $10 billion in one year. Uh, but they need to lay out exactly how it is they're going to increase revenue and how it is that they're going to lower spending or, at the very least, lower the growth rate of spending. And at uh, the minister's press conference yesterday, he was asked uh, this by reporters repeatedly, and he was fairly firm that he's not going to entertain increases in taxes and they're not going to entertain reductions in spending. So I, it's got to be one of those two things. Right, yeah. Well, it, I mean, I guess it could be uh, an oil boom again that, that saves us, that the oh, price yeah. could bounce back and we could be raking in the billions. But is it unfair to point out that the NDP had promised to get us off of that roller coaster? Yeah, so they have, it's not just the NDP. Every government uh, you can find making statements about getting Alberta off the royalty roller coaster. I mean, they all say that. They all talk about that and diversification and value added, but they don't really do anything um, about it concretely. I mean, relying on such a large fraction of our budget from royalties is risky, as we've seen. And we need a way to get off that, either by raising other taxes or by lowering spending. Let's think. Is I mean, people say, well, let's just put the royalties uh, in the bank, like like Norway does. Yeah. Oh, uh, okay. Well, then this is what that looks like, right? Exactly. Uh, this is exactly what that would look like, and you need to make up that uh, that hole if you save more of the royalties. Um, I asked uh, Rick McIver of the HST question right now, and, and I, I, I want to ask you the same question, but from a different angle. Um, is that fantasy to think that that would help us right now? I know it would increase revenue, but would would we pay for it somewhere else? Oh, so certainly you're going, uh, people would pay any new tax out of their pocketbook. The question for me is, if the government wants to increase revenue, what's the least damaging way to do it economically? And the HST distorts business investment decisions the least. It distorts people's uh, working and employment decisions the least. Uh, certainly, you know, it comes out of your pocketbook, but it's better that than paying more out of your pocketbook through some other taxes and harming the economy uh, in the process. Yeah, the, the argument I always make is that if you were to implement a consumption tax, you would have to do it in tandem with a reduction in another tax, uh, preferably income tax, as well as corporate income tax. But it doesn't seem to me that when a government is staring down the largest deficit it's seen in uh, a few generations, that it could get away with reducing tax elsewhere. Yeah, absolutely. And, and prior to this uh, current situation, economists have always suggested that shift, uh, not bringing in a sales tax to in, enlarge government, but to make our tax system more efficient overall. Um, and, and in HST, about 10% of it would be paid by non-Albertans. So it's kind of a win there where we collect revenue from people coming in to visit Banff and Jasper and things like that. Right, yeah. What about the carbon tax? I know the carbon tax isn't meant to be uh, a revenue tool. The, the province has promised to spend whatever revenue it, it brings in on 
measures related to re- reducing emissions. But, um, I mean, there are those who feel that, that it's essentially uh, a PST under another name. Yeah, so it, it's different than a PST in that it really only increases the price of goods that are carbon intensive, not goods across the board. So it has very different implications than uh, sales tax. But the fiscal update that we saw yesterday you know, it doesn't go far out into the future. And so the carbon tax kicks in in 2017 and then ramps up again in 2018. Um, so, yeah, it'll be very interesting to see in the budget uh, how much of that revenue they put against the deficit uh, rather than spend. I think in a situation like this, um, for them to spend all of the revenue would just... Uh, yeah, it, <laughs> It, it wouldn't be all that responsible. I mean, this yeah. is a large deficit, and they need to do something about it or at least make it clear what the plan is to get out of deficits, um, and there doesn't seem to be one, and that's that's the real concern. You know, we talk about how much worse things can get, and I think that we talk about that in the context of the price of, of oil. Um, but I highlighted before we spoke, Trevor, about the $760 million hole in this budget that was income taxes that the government simply can't collect because the income's not there. And the more people that are laid off and the more corporations take write-downs on, on their revenues, the less income taxes government can continue to collect. So, I mean, is there some sort of, of, of stop they can put in there to, to try and stem that flow? No, I mean, this is... Uh, a symptom of falling incomes, either through job losses or by uh, people's incomes being lower, certainly capital gains or people aren't collecting that since stock prices are down across the board, all that filters in through lower personal income taxes. And when corporations, when their profit falls, and it's expected to fall a lot more this year by about 17%, then corporate income taxes will also fall. There's not much the government can do about that because it's really induced by the low price of oil, which you know, we certainly do not control. Let's say that, that Ottawa makes it rain, right? That, that uh, the next federal budget is going to shower all kinds of money on, on Alberta for infrastructure spending. How much of a GDP bump could that give us, and, and how much of a, a revenue bump would a GDP bump provide? Yeah, so it depends on how it's structured. If the federal government comes in and provides uh, funding for infrastructure that the province would have otherwise have spent, then that will shrink our deficit, and that should be welcome. But in terms of whether or not the infrastructure spending boosts GDP, there's just not a lot of evidence that government spending, especially at the provincial level, has a big bang uh, for the buck on our economy here. I mean, estimates range. Uh, a good rule of thumb might be for Canada that each dollar of government spending will add 50 cents to maybe a dollar at best. Uh, to GDP. So if we get another billion dollars of infrastructure spending, you know, Alberta's economy is close to $350 billion. So it really doesn't have a big uh, effect on GDP. I mean, we really need to talk about whether or not the infrastructure is needed on a project-by-project project basis. Right. Okay. So I think that Albertans are quite realistic about the situation. We've been through pains like this before, but notwithstanding, we are looking for a bit of an aspirin tablet of some sorts. Is there one out there that you can think of? That answer is terrible, Trevor. That's yeah. a horrible answer. <laughs> yeah, I know. So I, uh, I think a lot of the government's attention recently has been on playing up efforts to diversify the economy, and I don't think that's going to have any material effect at all. A lot of the programs they've announced are either counterproductive, um, you know, at worst, or just distracting at best. And if the government could provide some certainty that we do have a plan, a clear, reasonable, credible plan to gradually get out of deficit, then this would in, improve people's confidence in the future of Alberta. I think right now it's um, 
there's current pain, but then there's also all this uncertainty about what happens from here. And if they could address that uncertainty, then that, I think, would go a long way. All right, Trevor, appreciate the insight as always. Thanks for joining us here this morning. Thank you very much. All right, Trevor Toom, uh, Assistant Professor of Economics at the University of Calgary. Um, so putting things in perspective, right, that, uh, you know, you look at in terms of our debt-to-GDP ratio, we're, we're sitting pretty good. We're the only province to have, I guess, a, a net negative debt when you factor in all our assets. Uh, maybe a fire sale is in order. Anyone want to buy some of uh, our assets? I guess yeah, that's what's quantifiable. There's a lot of buyers out there right now. <laughs> But um, yeah, that's that's his point here. We've already seen the credit downgrades, and absent a plan, he's saying it's likely that that's going to get worse. Yeah, we're going to take a break right here and uh, stew on that. We'll uh, we'll continue the conversation with you. Your thoughts, text at seven seventy seven seventy. You can phone in as well nine seven four eight two five five. This is Kincaid and Breckenridge on News Talk seven seventy. Is it me? Is it that rule that when you're looking for stuff? It becomes apparent, like, I'm just, uh, every song to me on the, the returns today speaks to the situation. We've got Jimi Hendrix all along the watchtower. There must be some kind of way out of here, said the joker to the thief. And we're talking about the $10 billion deficit that uh, Joe Sisi presented us, although it's actually just a hell of a lot of money deficit. He couldn't actually bring himself to say $10.4 billion. But uh, let's get to the phones, Rob, shall we? Indeed. Aziz, how you doing? Hello, guys. How are you? Real good. You know, I, I, I just want to make one point, and I think the oil industry needs to be a zero-tax industry. Oil industry needs to be a zero-tax industry. Yeah. Okay. And, and that way we can keep our industry going. You, you know what I mean? Like, the most important industry in Alberta is the oil industry, and we're not supporting them. Ontario has a huge manufacturing industry. And they'll never let them languish the same way that Albertans are doing. Or, sorry, the government of Alberta, which is an NDP socialist government, is doing to our oil industry. You know, there's a huge knockoff effect, right? Yeah. Like, go on. Go on. No, you go. No. Okay, okay. <laughs> like, the average Albertan, if you tell them an apple yields apple trees, they'll be like, yeah, that makes sense. You go to an NDP supporter and you, and you tell them that, they're like, no, it should also yield oranges. You know, <laughs> I like the I like the analogy. Here, here's here's my retort, though. Uh, I, I don't know if you could get away with uh, taking one industry and saying you won't pay tax, the others will. Now, I, I am with you. I, I think that uh, uh, we properly not overstate the importance of the energy industry in this uh, province and in this country. But but I'll say this. If you think that it's corporate taxation on oil companies and reducing those and eliminating those would help spur business, then I think that you should explore the fact that that is, uh, that, that is a uniform economic opinion, that all corporate taxes are a hindrance. And, and I would not have a problem uh, with uh, anybody who comes forward and says, maybe we shouldn't look to tax capital before it gets into the hands of citizens. Maybe we should look to tax capital after it gets into the hands of citizens. So if the trade-off is we'll no longer tax all corporations, but we will tax the people that those corporations give money to, which is you and me, whenever we go buy stuff in the market, then I'm all ears. Most definitely. I'm not talking about the people that work there. I'm just talking about the actual entity that organizes and extracts. Sure. Yeah. The employees still pay taxes, of course. Yep. Yeah, it's a great phone right. call, Aziz. I appreciate it. I mean, it's we, it's we you, you can either see corporations as one of two things, Rob. It's either a flow-through for capital, a, a means of getting money into the hands of the people who act in the market, 
or it's uh, just some rich fat cat in the corner office that uh, needs to give you his pound of flesh before he does anything. Yeah, but I mean, you know, if you t- talk about corporations, the tax they're paying, I mean, if corporations are losing money, they don't have profits. They don't have profits that can be taxed. So they're not paying corporate tax in the first place. Uh, let's go back to the phone and see. We got uh, Cody on the line. Cody, go ahead. Hey, Rob, thanks for having me. Uh, I just wanted to say that the government can influence the price of oil in Alberta by taking a active role in supporting all pipeline projects so that we are receiving full and fair value for our oil, just like Iran and Venezuela and all these other countries around the world that can access global markets. We have to do more. Well, yeah, so that if we were able to export to other markets, we'd, we'd get a different price, higher price. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I, yeah. And we're not... You know, we're not, uh, all of our competitors can sell to whoever they want, and we have one customer, and we need to remove certain voices in the conversation from some of these special interest groups that are saying, the world doesn't need oil and gas from Canada, and therefore the world's going to get more oil and gas from countries like Saudi Arabia and other countries like OPEC. Yeah, no, it's a good call, Cody. I think you're right. You know, I hate to say this, and, and I certainly don't wish this, but we need a, we need a Exxon Valdez. Or some sort of a beluga killing disaster off the east coast that we can get all these enviro nut bars up in arms about and say, look how bad oil is, look how what a destructive force it is on the environment, so that those of us who are you know uh, turning the thermostats down four degrees so we can make it through February uh, can can get up on a bit of a soapbox and say we've been trying to tell you this, you morons, but you've not been listening to us. Well, you know, I mean, the point's valid. Rachel Notley doesn't. Decide where the pipelines get built. I mean, that's that's the big drawback. I think you know she's uh, sensibly supportive of some of these projects uh, happening, but it's uh, outside of her control. All right, back to the phones here. Uh, let's go to Sue on line three. Hi, Sue. How you doing? Hi. How are you? Yeah. Well, thanks. Um, I'm wondering what happened to the Heritage Fund. I mean, there was millions and billions, and it's you never there. hear of it anymore. No, it hasn't gone away. Yeah, it's still there, and you could. Is uh, it still there? Yeah, you could liquidate the Heritage uh, Trust Fund and get us out of debt. I think about eighteen billion dollars in it. Well, why can't they use some of that? They could. Be, that's a bit of a political third rail, though. How would you feel if uh, uh, if they did that? If they if they cured our debt woes with uh, the money that's in that Heritage Savings Fund? Well, maybe it'd be the answer. I don't disagree with you, Sue, and I think it's definitely something that's worth exploring. But uh, we'll boy, be there you, for a rainy day. Yeah, and you'd have you'd be handing off quite a, a powder keg to the uh, to the opposition party who says you've squandered all of our savings. You can't be trusted. Well, yeah, that's the problem. If I mean, you take say five billion out of that to, to help pay the bills this year, then that five billion's gone, and then the next year you're still facing the same problem. So I think part of why it's controversial is that it's just. It seems so short-sighted that you pay the bills one year, you're still facing a, a tough situation the following year, and now you just got a smaller trust fund. So I think if you're going to tap into it, you need to have a pretty clear plan for what you're going to do with that money, that it's going to have some, some lasting impact. But uh, as you say, yeah, it's a bit of a third rail. Um, we take a break here, or do we have time for one uh, we more? We better no. take a break. Yeah, let's right. do that. King Gate and Breckenridge on News Talk 770. All right, what will I find if we uh, go to the phones here, Roger, 974-8255? Uh, morning, Bob. Hi, how are you? Pretty good. Hey, there's a couple things that, uh, that I'm curious about. Is When we're talking about debt, why doesn't anybody talk about reduced spending? Because um, that's the number one way of getting debt down. Like everybody in Calgary, or a lot of people in Calgary, they can do it less. Yeah. Well, I'm pretty sure we've been talking about that, yeah. 
Okay, great. The other thing is HST. Yep. HST doesn't work. If you look at Ontario, they got 13% HST, and what's their debt? 300 billion? Well, what, would, mean, it, what would it be without it? Well, the way they spend it would be even worse. But like, okay. there again, they're, they're to look out of control spending two or three years down the road. That's exactly the direction the NDP's taking. They're following them down that rabbit hole. So. I mean, yeah, uh, you gotta, I don't know how to Bob, sorry, we're just, we're just going to run out of time here. And I appreciate your argument that, that the HST, it hasn't gotten, uh, Ontario out of hawk, but that's not the argument. And, and we got to kind of come at it from a different perspective. If, if you don't bring in the HST so that you can bloat government and give them another revenue source, I would never ever sign on for that. The only reason that I would get into, uh, an HST conversation is if somebody was presenting it as a means of making taxation more democratic more fair, more equitable. So uh, the more that we can get away from uh, tax on, on wages and the more that we can get to tax on consumption, the more equitable a society that we're going to live in and uh, uh, the better our uh, revenue structures will be. So, uh, you know, that's that's the argument for it. But you're absolutely right. I wouldn't trade Alberta's situation for Ontario's. All right, we're going to stand down for the 11 o'clock news. Uh, we've got a lot more to come. Uh, it's Kincaid and Breckenridge on News Talk 770. I am Roger Kincaid. That is Rob Breckenridge. Um, this next segment could be co- equal parts fun and informative um, because we have some people who were misbehaving at a forum. We had a mayor who was disgusted with the un-Calgarian behavior of certain people. And we have a counselor who came on uh, the morning news this morning and kind of gave a bit of a non-answer while claiming that there's a lot of misinformation out there about this Southwest Transit Way, this BRT line that would uh, uh, be on 14th Street. Right. It's going to add uh, two bus lanes, essentially. Right, yeah. Is the idea. It's going to be a, like a rapid bus service that's supposed to link the downtown with these these communities in the Southwest. So this has been uh, on the table, what, since like 2011? Mm-hmm. There's these information sessions going on. People are, are trying to get their head around exactly what the project is and how it's going to impact their communities. Now, Rick Donkers is with uh, this Ready to Engage group. Um, he's a spokesperson for Ready to Engage. He's on hold, and we're going to get to Rick in just a sec. But just to give you some context about um, you know some of the people that are attending these, uh, this guy made news yesterday. I'm telling you that right now. If you're driving a Mercedes-Benz and you can afford a Mercedes-Benz, you're not going to take public transit to downtown Calgary or the or Mount Royal College. You're, there you are. You're absolutely right. And the, the buses is, that flow along Elbow Drive and 14th Street right now have an average, and I counted it, 4.5 people per bus. And you're going to put these double tandem buses in there to put four or five people? They don't even pay for the diesel fuel. So the the thing is, we're not we're not building we're not building these bus lanes for folks who are in Jaguars and Mercedes. We're building these. We're building these bus lanes for the folks who can't afford it. For university students, for folks who are working at the hospital, for folks who are looking at the wrong place. The demographics don't tell you that. Take a look at the people that live west of 14th Street. Take a good, hard look at them, and then tell me that those people are going to take public transit. My great aunt's ass. Now, um, I do live in that neighborhood. Uh, full disclosure. And uh, there's a lot of people there that would use, that use public transportation. So I, I don't understand the guy's point. I think if I owned a Mercedes, yeah, you're right. I'd probably be loath to take the bus. But if I uh, owned, uh, but if I did take the bus, I, I might not be able to own a Mercedes. So I, I, the guy's point is completely lost on me. Well, is it the argument that uh, this this area is too wealthy? There's no demand for transit. I mean, if there were evidence to show that, just that 
this is the wrong place to go because people there don't want public transit. I mean, that would be a, a point worth noting. But is is that the case, right? And and if so, why has that not been noticed at any at any step along the way here? Now, I believe the mayor has canceled any future meetings. Excuse me on this matter. Um, in a statement yesterday in a rather dramatic YouTube video. When I came in this morning, I heard reports on last night's public engagement event at the Wood Creek Community Association, reports from citizens, reports from my colleagues who work at the City of Calgary, and from our corporate security. I am extraordinarily disappointed. Let's be clear. At a previous meeting on this project in October, one of my colleagues who works at the city of Calgary was insulted and assaulted by a community member. Okay, so what's basically happening then is that these meetings are becoming wrestling matches as opposed to information sessions. And I don't know who's to blame for that. If it's cranky old codger who thinks that the area is too wealthy for rapid transit for buses, or if it's the fact that the city didn't set up enough proper infrastructure to inform people, my guess is it's probably somewhere in the middle, Rob. All right. Well, let's get our next guest into the conversation. Rick Donkers is a spokesperson for this group, Ready to Engage. Rick, thanks for joining us here. I appreciate the opportunity, guys. All right. So, first of all, what is Ready to Engage? What's your group all about? Our mandate is to give citizens a voice, and we don't think that they've been given a voice in this debate. We're not anti-transit. Rick Donkers takes the train every morning to go to his work downtown. I'm, I, we want an efficient transit system. But what we don't like about this project is that there's no financial the, – the taxpayers may be on the hook for a big, big bill if this plan goes through. Well, no, hey, let's not mince words here. The taxpayers will be on the hook for a big, big bill if this project goes through because it's a public infrastructure project. But that is – is that the reason for opposition to it? Because if that's the case, then you're probably ready to engage about anything that the city would, uh, would, would suggest they're going to do. Well, we – of course, we have – uh, various concerns, and uh, the people in Woodbine have very different concerns than people like myself who live in, in Oak Ridge or those who live along the uh, sound retaining wall in, uh, in, uh, uh, the, along 14th Street. Um, there are also people from our group in, in Lakeview who are very concerned about what looks like an uh, a, a unwell-thought-out plan to, to, to add another crossing along uh, over Crowchild Trail. Um, we're we're a group that represents 14 different communities. Uh, I thought it was fascinating that the mayor says, "Oh, we have every community on on uh, on side with this." Well, then why are um, community associations crafting letters right now expressing their opposition to the way in which the city is going about this process? Make no doubt about it. This project is being steamrolled, and we can't figure out why. What, what's behind it without going through the proper things like a cost-benefit analysis. How about a ridership study? Now, I, I wasn't crazy about that quote at the beginning, but there was no ridership study for this to even say if people, what, what type of transit system we should be built there. There's also things about the cost-benefit analysis for this. Um, you know, we used to build these BRTs as precursors to LRTs, but with an LRT in in some cases just blocks away, does it really make sense? Okay, well, you talk about this project being steamrolled. I mean, wasn't this approved back in, in 2011? Didn't we have consultations before then on, on whether this was, was going to happen? 
the real issue here is the consultation process. Yes, it sat dormant for five years. There was four consultation processes. Um, how many people uh, turned out? I think it was 183 responses the city logged. There was no money to the project. It was not going anywhere, so it sat dormant for five years. In fact, uh, the responses were about 90% negative to the plan that the city uh, presented at that point, and that is in large part the same project that when there was some green trip money that popped up last September, that all of a sudden, okay, let's, let's plow this project through. Okay. Um, what's the what's the grand fear, though? I mean, you, you talk about the cash component piece, and I get that part, I guess, but is there some fear that it's going to change the, the makeup of these neighborhoods? Scope creep, that this is a project that's, that's uh, supposed to be $40 million, and it talks about a tunnel under 90th Avenue. Um, just general idea that that makes no sense. You can't build something there. So um, it, for myself, I said, I live in Oak Ridge. I'm concerned about how this will impact on 90th Avenue, um, where they're going to put dedicated bus lanes either at grade or under a tunnel. They haven't quite determined that yet, but they're ready to, to put shovels into the ground. And um, are we going to create, in essence, another repeat of 36th Street Northeast, where you have too many services too close together, and it just creates more gridlock? And we are concerned that this whole Southwest BRT plan does not address the problem that is the causeway. It's a bottleneck. That's not getting any wider. In fact, they're going to, to uh, uh, add dedicated bus lanes on each side, and that's going to, to increase the congestion we fear, although there are some who argue, oh, no, it'll actually relieve it because everybody's going to be riding this bus. Well, we don't know that because there was no ridership studies done. Why, why there, there's too many red flags going. Why haven't we done our due diligence to protect taxpayers' uh, uh, rights? And and that's what people are asking at these meetings. Well, what do you mean by ridership study? Because obviously, uh, until something like that is built, you, you don't know how many people are going to use it. Uh, I, I I've been in covering city council as a reporter for for many many years, and ridership studies were forecasted we predict there's this many when we asked the area uh, counselor um, how, how did you come across 12 million riders which if you break down is is like full buses running past every 12 days he said it's intelligent extrapolation you're not taking into account how much the city is growing well you're terminating the bus system in woodlands and woodbine we know that for sure we know how many people are there you tell me how many are going to ride this we're not against transit we think that there's probably a good case to be made to run a BRT from downtown through the new Curry developments and into Mount Royal University. The part that doesn't seem to make sense and what people seem to be asking legitimate questions about is how it goes south of the causeway and that bottleneck. Okay, so just to clear this up then, you're, sure. you're mostly concerned then about uh, segments five and six. Yes. Okay, so everything basically, and I guess segment four, the causeway component of it. Yes which up, up until last month was to be determined. Right. Well, how many people currently ride the 20, the 20 route? I think it's like uh, 1,300 a day. Okay. And how many people currently drive 14th Street? Thousands. Uh, yeah, but I mean, do you have that quantified? I, I mean, like, I, mean, I would expect it's thousands. I, Is that what, 90,000, 10,000? 10, 10, Roger, I'm a, I'm a volunteer. Okay. I'm not a transit, a transit or a traffic planner. What, what I see is... Um, things that don't make sense and, and, and uh, 
people ask legitimate questions and the questions are being given or the answers, sorry, that they're begin, being given at these information centers, don't worry about it. It's a done deal. All we're doing here today is figuring out what we're going to paint the outside of the buildings and what the carpet's going to be. Okay, but you know, I think part of this is is uh, an argument against the misinformation that's being spread by either side. And yeah. I, I, I'm not necessarily saying, Rick, that the the angry old guy that we played at the top of this segment is representative of your group, ready to engage. Right. But if there are people out there who are saying, take a look at the population north of 14th Street, that that's kind of a, a dumb way to to go about looking at that. I'm, I'm sure that you would agree. There are people there that take the bus. When I lived north of Fort, or west of 14th Street, rather, I took the bus to school downtown. And now that I live on the just uh, a hair over the east side of 14th Street, yeah. I still see a lot of people that, that, that take the bus. So is the argument here that that um, just by adding two more lanes to put buses on them, it's going to create all kinds of bedlam on 14th Street? Well, we we think that the addition of five new uh, uh, road crossings plus dedicated transitways, which will narrow take eight, eight inches off of each of one of those lanes. There's also whether the, the legitimate questions about whether or not we can actually build on 14th Street because there seems to be some underground utilities that are going to be a major concern upcoming. But we, we think that when you, when you look at, they're about to add a fourth car to the LRT, increasing capacity just a few blocks away on the LRT line. They're about to start construction on the Southwest Ring Road. We question from a fiscal responsibility point of view, why are you proceeding with this when we don't know how traffic patterns in that area is, are going to change in the future and okay. whether or not this is even a good idea? We think it's a bad plan as it's currently uh, drawn up. Well, that's actually the part that makes the most sense to me as someone who lives in that area. And I want to know if that is not the, the, the bedrock of your argument, because if we're going to invest all of this money in the southwest portion of the uh, of the ring road, then why wouldn't we fold in um, a, a BRT line that can actually service more of the city along that route? I, it's, a, it's a good question. And whether or not people want to ride that. I live in Oak Ridge, as I mentioned before, and unfortunately, my preferred method of, of public transportation would be to take the C train. I was hoping you'd say Uber, but... No, I'm not going to say that. Okay, but what's the answer to that question, though, that I just asked you? When it's presented to city councillors at these information sessions, what do they say about, about mothballing this BRT, Southwest Transit Way, and uh, trying to include it in the scope of the ring road? Well, see, this is, the, this is the big point. If you go through and you actually look at the omnibus bill that was passed in, in 2011, February of 2011, and what was brought forward. There has been no changes to it. So this is essentially a plan that, that was uh, devised in 2008-2009. And it, it never took into consideration many of these other things. We're arguing respectfully that the transit way was never properly debated on the floor of city council. Our petition says we're not opposed to, to uh, transit. We're opposed to the city's design as it stands now, and it should be debated by city council. Well, you're opposed to this plan regardless. I mean, they could debate it for you know, several more hours or several more days. You're still going to be against it. No, I disagree. Well, you just said you're against the plan. Well, I'm, a, I'm, against, I, I'm against elements of the plan as it's drawn up right now. In okay. fact, why don't they, if, if it's such a good plan, why don't they put these articulated buses on the route, then it's just a bus route, do it right now, and prove that it's, that it's a good idea. 
what concerns me personally is that do I lose my access to the C train by bus because we're going to feed these uh, BRT buses? I don't know. I can't get an answer to that question. What about the, the, the planning study that was done on all of this in 2011? There wasn't a plan. That was just it. There was a preliminary report, and that got shot through once some money became available. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry if I'm not making that clear well, it's enough. It's the functional it's, planning study. I'm looking at it right here. The Delcan report? Yeah. Yeah, and you've, you've seen other reports like that. How would you describe that one? Well, how are you describing it? I'm describing it as, as incomplete and and. I'll leave it at that. You're saying it was slapdash because there was some cash made available to the city and they had to pr- produce something in order to get the money. Your words, but I wouldn't disagree with it. Well, no, is that the ins- insinuation you're making, Rick? I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm not trying to obfuscate I'm, here, but I'm, we're trying I'm, to pin I'm you down. I'm saying that even the, the Stantec report that was recently released, which has a little bit more detail, still isn't complete. There's not a full costing. Why are we proceeding with major infrastructure projects when we don't know what taxpayers are going to end up being paid? Uh, paying the bill for. Okay. Um, so let me just clear this up before we let you go, Rick. Sure. We really appreciate your time today. So I'm, cause I, I want to clear through the rhetoric here. I mean, I got the mayor saying that, we're, that we're being uh, un-Calgarian and mean to each other and nasty at these things. So he's canceling them. Yeah. And he's saying that, that we did it somehow. Okay. And then you're saying that, look, all we're concerned about is why we're spending this much public money on something that's not fully planned out that we don't even know if the city needs. Correct. Okay. So who are these people that are saying, that are talking about the ratio of Mercedes-Benz ownership west of 14th Street. That's a, that's a person who's president of Southwest Calgary who's frustrated by what they're presented with with the, with the city. Let's make it perfectly clear that what happened on Tuesday night was a city event that the, the group ready to engage tried to be a part of. Our, our offer to, to be part of it was rejected. When we held a similar event with police officers uh, attending that event in um, the Jewish Community Center a month before, we had none of the. It was a family-friendly event. We had kids coloring uh, at the, that event. There were there. The city was invited. They they uh, brought three representatives. Were they asked tough questions? Absolutely. Were they treated with respect or, or, or felt their lives were threatened? Well, I don't know because they certainly didn't raise that to. Um, we who organized it, or to the uniformed police officers. But now we have the mayor taking an event that we were prohibited from attending, and he, he turns around and says, we somehow incited these people? No. Calgarians are far too smart for that, to be, to be uh, um, my puppet as if with ready to engage. That's, okay. that's ridiculous. But Calgarians make up their own mind, and the process is frustrating. This this process is a sham where we talk we're going to get people's input on it. They are presented very clearly that this is a done deal and you can't change that. And if they wonder why, why people get a little hostile afterwards, even though we're opposed to anything but respectful dialogue, I'm not surprised that the city got what, what, what they got. In okay. fact, a cynic would say... The city got exactly what they want so okay, that right. the mayor can shut down this down. Okay, we're going to leave it at that, Rick. Thank Absolutely. you. Thanks very much for your time today. I really appreciate it. All right, that's uh, Rick Donkers, uh, spokesperson for Ready to Engage. All right, welcome back. It's Roger and Rob. I'm the latter. He's the former. Uh, this I'm is still, interesting. I'm still Roger. Yeah, former. Formerly. No, cur- former. Currently. 
Uh, I, I hadn't seen it. I'm seeing stories here that the NDP had made an announcement today concerning green trip funding, which I guess is relevant to this conversation because, I mean, green trip is part of the city's long-term transit strategy and the question of whether the NDP was going to uh, do its part provincially. So apparently the NDP has made some kind of announcement because the uh, Wild Rose uh, brought out to Jason Nixon uh, slamming the NDP for announcing green trip funding today in Calgary when we're in the midst uh, of a by-election campaign that the NDP need to stop making government announcements during by-election periods, which, again, harkens back to those uh, those by-elections huh. uh, in October of uh, it was 2014, when the uh, previous government was uh, making a lot of lot of announcements. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll keep an eye on that and uh, follow that story as it develops. Let's um, let's get to some phone calls on this matter nine seven four eight two five five talking about the Southwest Transit Way. Um, we. we I don't know. How do you, how do you sum it up with Rick Donkers? I don't know if we're necessarily getting the entire story, the entire side of opposition to this transit way, but, um, it's quite clear, uh, from Rick Donkers that there's a lot of people living in that part of the city in the southwest neighborhoods like Pump Hill, I guess Eagle Ridge is down there, Haysboro, Woodbine, Woodlands, uh, Oak Ridge, Cedarbury, et cetera, et cetera, that they don't want to see this because of the cost. Uh, the, uh, the likely to expand and inflate cost of the project and the fact that there's a huge bottleneck uh, that will occur uh, where uh, 14th Street turns east, excuse me, turns west onto the Glenmore Causeway. Well, and here's a text, and, and I think we're seeing a lot of this sentiment. This text here says, ready to engage is merely a front for wealthy snobs in the southwest. Um, you know, it, it, some of this comes across that way, right, that, you know, we don't want buses around us. We don't want anything to do with your buses and the kinds of people who ride buses. Keep that out, out of our neighborhood. I, I didn't get that from Rick, but I think that, you know, the perception's out there. I, uh, yeah, I can't argue with that. Manny, hi, thanks for the call. Hey, how are you today? Yeah, good. Good. So I was at that meeting from 6.30 to about 9.30, and, you know, they had plain clothes security there. And if anyone raised their voice or talked really to any staff there, they're right away grabbed by security and told to calm down or the police will be called. So if there's any death threats, I found it very hard to believe that this was happening there and people felt threatened just for the fact that security was there, plain clothes security, and, you know, people, yeah, we're upset. 110% they're upset. How many, but, how many people are, are attending these things, Manny, that, that, oh, that don't was, want to see the project go through? Tons. Tons. I couldn't give you a number, okay, but, but, but here, when I got there, I here, got there at 6.30, it was lined up outside already. Yeah, so here's why I asked the question, Manny, and, and I don't doubt the, that there are people that don't want to see this go through for very legitimate reasons, but if the city presents this proposal, and they say, we're going to build this transit way, it's going to be easier for, for you to get from uh, the deep southwest of the city to Mount Royal College or to the ho- uh, Rocky View Hospital, you're going to have a lot of people go, oh, that's a relief because right now I have to go way out of my way and it's very difficult to get to some of these facilities. So that's a relief. Those people aren't going to turn up at these forums to say, hey, this is a great idea. They're certainly not going to turn up in, in this great number. So I just want to know where the majority lies on this one. And I, th- oh, I think majority, it's for the project. I see. I believe the majority is not for the project. Okay. In all fairness, just, you know, like, and, you know, for example, Pincott released on Twitter that someone asked him about the gas lines under 14th Street. Right. And he thought it was a joke to say, well, if it's not done right, it's kaboom. You know, this is a leader in our city saying kaboom to gas lines. You know, it's very unprofessional. Well, okay. You know, they, they, they take the city's saying that everybody's so negative. But how about the people on the city side that have said made comments like that? Okay, fair enough. That's you know, a, that's we, a good point you make, Manny. That's a good point you make. But let, tell me something. What side of the uh, retaining wall on the east side of 14th Street is that gas line on? 
You know, exactly. It is on the east side, on the Haverhill side. So it's not on the development side. I believe it, they, they are going to be passing at some point. Okay. Thanks very much for the phone call, man. We just want to make time to, to get everybody. There's a huge berm on the uh, uh, east side that you can see uh, through the chain link fence when you're northbound on 14th Street, and the, the gas line is running underneath there. So right. it, it appears that that's not where they're going to dig, but that's just my take on it. Uh, let's go back to the phones. Doug, welcome to the program. Hey, good day. Um, I'll just give you a little setup on this. I'm okay. in Woodbine, 30-plus years. Um I went to the meeting on Tuesday night um, to find out what was going on. Uh, I know it's been out for five years, but I haven't paid attention. My fault. So I needed to know what was going on. Uh, I, I will not be using this system because there's nothing along that route that, that I am involved in. And I own a 2011 Ford Ranger, so I'm not a Mercedes Benzer. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So my wife and I headed out there at 7.30. Uh, we had to stand in line about 20 minutes to get in. And that entire 20 minutes, uh, there was a guy, very, very loud. Uh, if, if soapboxes still existed, he'd be on one. He was preaching exactly how evil this plan was. There were three people there with petitions in their hands waiting for people to sign against it. There was another lady there with lawn signs trying to hawk their lawn signs against this project. So my wife and I waited through all this. I actually said, take a pill, and my wife gave me a slap. <laughs> but they, they, I, just, I just couldn't believe that we had to go through this gauntlet just to get in to find out what was going on. Yeah. We got in. It was very crowded. It uh, took a lot longer than I thought it would to go through all the, the uh, setup. Uh, but every step of the way, every step, every every board that we went to, there was a person in our ear saying, uh, you, you, you can't believe this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. Um, uh, what did you ultimately take away from it, Doug? Oh, for me, um, I haven't decided yet, but right. I, I'm not against it. Uh, what I really wanted to find out was parking. Yeah. Uh, being that I'm five minutes from one stop, I'm 10 minutes from the first stop and five minutes from the second stop. I, I would think that this would be prime parking when I, you know, when I go Max Bell's full of people that were going to walk 20 minutes to get to a train. Yeah, right. Um, so uh, I talked to, the next day I talked to some guys that live in the inner city and how that works. And yeah, your house gets two parking passes and two visitor passes and blah, 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 blah. So I, I'm kind of comforted on that, although the city didn't do a good job explaining that to me. I didn't come away with how it works, just that it would be. Uh, but I guess my main point here is that uh, it, it, the, the room was flooded with these people. That I, I'm 60 years old, and I, I, my impression was I was staring at a bunch of very old white people who didn't want anything to do with any change, any improvement, anything else. Um, when I moved here in Woodbine, yeah. 30 odd years ago it was outlier it was way yeah. out there yeah man you're talking about the neighborhood it, i grew up in absolutely yeah. yeah it's almost inner city now i mean it really is yeah. it, it it this would be a perfect community for students at mount royal 
Yeah, and if uh, I told to you, be able to commute. yeah, you're right, Doug. And I hate to let you go here because you made a lot of good points. But we want to get to other people. But if, if yeah. somebody told you when you moved in there that your neighbor, your home was going to be worth half a million one day, you'd have spit your milk out through your nose. But that's... Uh, if you told me it was worth half a million today, I'd still spit milk out my nose. <laughs> <laughs> good stuff, pal. Well, hopefully, uh, we can get the economy to turn around and and get you back to that state. But but I mean, look, I think that Doug makes an interesting point that there's a lot of people who just don't like the fact that the city has changed. You know, I, I listen, I'm, I'm the same way. I grew up in this quadrant of the city in that very neighborhood. These these people are talking about. It's a completely different place than it was 38 years ago. And part of that means, you know, we, we're going to get upgraded transportation. I just I feel like it's unavoidable. Well, so why don't we take a break here when we come back? Uh, we got more calls on the line. and We can get to some of those. Nine, seven, four, eight, two, five, five. This is Kincaid and Breckenridge on Newstalk 770. And nine, seven, four, eight, two, five, five. Let's go to Tony on line two. Hi, Tony. Oh, good morning. Thanks for taking my call. I'm yes. going to talk quick. Okay. I, got a, I, I could speak to you all afternoon about this, but we've only got a few minutes. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm uh, on, the, on the board for my community association. I take care of the uh, calls from people coming in regarding traffic and speeding and parking and the like. So over the past several years, I've been invited to a lot of consultation sessions and planning sessions at the city. All very, very nice, and what you'll hear is, is quite true. Uh, the city people are there. They've got their nice boards uh, set up. They're very, very friendly, and there's a lot of talking back and forth. But honestly, guys, my experience over the years has been it is simply lip service. There's, there's never an instance I have seen where a community association or a residence group or anything of the like has said something that has noticeably impacted something that the city says. They, they engage. And I and I and I will I will agree with them until the end of time that they oh yeah we're going to come out to the communities we're going to do this we're going to do this we're going to do this but it is it is a one way process there is uh, they'll write your comments down but really nothing ever comes of it and you will and you will get that reply from anyone in my position around the city so that's that's the first thing I wanted to talk about with that the second thing is. The number one thing I get uh, asked about is parking uh, permits. Um, uh, people are, the Safeway parking lot is full and people are parking in front of my street. I want to get a parking pass, uh, a residential parking pass. There's a, there's a senior's home across the way from me and all of the staff parks in front of my house. I want to get a parking pass. The city does not give out parking passes go easily. Um, out of the probably two dozen requests I've had over the past two years, we've successfully gotten one, and that was for a two-block stretch that simply extended a parking pass. So to say, well, we're just going to get parking passes, it doesn't fly like that. And also, if they are knowing this is coming, why didn't they say that in the first place against the um, uh, have it have that ready, saying that we're going to do parking passes here right. and there. Well, that's yeah. So, that, you, you've raised a lot of good points, and and uh, we're yeah. going to let you go, Tony. Thanks very much. But uh, you, uh, the, the the fact that they're going to put build these um, these kind of bus stops, these sort of enhanced bus stops with heated shelters and whatnot, uh, but with no park and ride facilities, I think that that's a legitimate concern for a lot of people along this route. That you're adding transit infrastructure without adding the appropriate infrastructure to come in place, because not everybody walks to the bus. Some people have to drive to get to public transit, and they choose to do that. Right. Now, in, in what it says on the city's website is that the Southwest Transitway team will work with communities interested in initiating the residential parking permit process for roads around the new stations. So, you know, I think what, what Tony was alluding to is the fact that this is not a done deal. And there's no guarantee the communities are going to get this or that this will get finished and then we'll start that process so that even if it does happen eventually, there's there's going to be that headache in the meantime. 
Yeah, nine seven four eight two five five. If you uh, want to weigh in on this, uh, Alan. Hi, thanks for the call. Hi, thanks. Well, I was at the meeting uh, uh, the other night, and uh, I thought it went uh, really well. There was uh, engagement back and forth. There was a lot of frustration in the room, but the frustration stems from a lack of answers, uh, primarily from Brian Pincott. Answers uh, to what? I'm sorry? Well, answers to what? Well, answers to basic things like there's 250,000 people a week that are going to be taking this uh, from Woodbine, for instance. Where are the people going to park? And Pincott says, well, we're not going to put in parking lots. Well, exactly. So what are we going to do? So if we talk about residential uh, parking permits, then tell us that there's going to be required residential parking permits. How much are they going to be? When do we get them? How long do we get them for? Uh, I, I mean, it's ridiculous. It's a lack of answers. And when he says the ready to engage puts out disinformation, he can't quantify what disinformation is that this organization is putting out, which I'm part of, because we get all of our information from the city. We put a, diff- a different light on it, such as where are 250,000 people a week going to park at the terminus of this station? Where is exactly that road going to go? You mentioned earlier, somebody earlier who mentioned that it wasn't going to go over to the gas, um, gas line on the east side. That's incorrect. It is going to go over the gas line on, on the east side. And I think Nancy is the one that's the bully in this. Okay. He wasn't even there. And then he comes out and uses a kid's program with pink shirt well, on and uh, says that his guys are getting bullied. That's, uh, that's coincidental. That it happened on the same day. And I'm not oh, willing I to think. I think it was more than coincidental. You think they, they I think planned they, to make this announcement on the day that it was pink shirt day. I think when they were looking at each other saying, we've got a PR problem here, what are we going to do about it? And they're all sitting around in pink shirts. They say, well, let's call them bullies. Okay, well, I don't know how you could possibly uh, prove that, but... Um... Well, I can't prove it, but Roger, they had lots of, they had lots of cops, un- ununiformed cops there. Right. If there was any assaults, they would have had the police there. For him to come out and say um, that there was assaults, where, who, who was assaulting? Where did the assault take place? Why weren't the cops called? What investigation is taking place? Is this a city transit investigation or is this a cop investigation? Come on, Mayor, come clean. Let's ask the um, um, the chief of police. Is there an active investigation going on? Because if there's not, Nancy, I think you owe an apology to these people. Okay. Were, there, were there threats being issued? Not that I ever heard. Of course not. And if there was, they would have called the cops. That's what I would have done. Alan, I've spoken with you about this in the past. Is there a concern amongst the group that um, uh, they don't want to see this project go through because they think it will uh, diminish the value of their homes in the area by being so close to a transit throughway? No, absolutely not. I mean, we are we're pro transit, Roger. It's just got to be well thought out. It can't be a waste of money. Wasting money is never the right answer. You told I me mean, that. There though. could be there could be a concern about people's housing prices, and that is the biggest asset that most people have, me included. Right. Right. And so when you have got a lack of access in or out of your community, that's going to affect your that's going to affect your housing price, right? But in some instances, having a transit facility close to your house could increase the value as long as it's well thought out transit and a well thought out project that could increase the price of your house. So that's what we're trying to make sure is let's make sure we're not wasting taxpayers' money here. Let's make sure this is properly debated where it never has been on the floor of city council. This is omnibus bill that was passed 
five years ago. And Roger, they're talking about a 30-year plan on transit. How about how close driverless cars have come in the last 10 years? I mean, we could be five, eight, well, 10 years away from driverless cars. And they're talking about a transit plan that's 30 years looking into the future. Look into the future about 30 years. All right. Wow. All right, that's, Alan. That's yeah. a big change. It's a good call, Alan. Thanks very much for making it. I, listen, I, I get it, and I'm one of these people who who's, uh, appreciates a good futurist. But if you had a politician and said, you know what, we're not going to buy any more sea trains or buses because we're pretty close to driverless cars, how would that go down? Well, yeah, I, that, that is a tough question because sure I, I don't think you can ignore it. I don't think you can ignore how much transportation is is changing and is likely to change. Um. But I don't know. Does that negate the need for for public transit? I, I don't know how you I don't know how you address that because I, I don't think you can make assumptions. But I don't know that you can ignore it either. Anyway, we got to take a break. We'll come back some some final thoughts on this. It's Kincaid and Breckenridge on News Talk seven seventy.